We hear the story of Palm Sunday as told in Luke in chapter 19, starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. How many of you remember the London 2012 Olympics? That's a daft question because it was two years ago. And if you don't remember that, you've probably got a bit of a bad memory or you were out of the country for a couple of months or something. But I'm sure we all remember the London 2012 Olympics. Now, how many of you managed to see part of the torch relay? Did it come down this way? No? Some of you went to see it? Cool. Well, we were really fortunate um, uh, in my church in particular because one of the ladies who was a club leader, she got chosen to carry it for part of the relay. Now, it wasn't going through Bake Up, it was going through the posh end of the valley. And so... Um, I remember everybody, well, pretty much everybody from church, went down to see that torch being carried through. Now, I reckon that most people weren't even that interested in the Olympics until that day. But when we were there and there were loads of people, it was really, really exciting. We got down there early, we found a wall to sit on, and we waited. And the build-up was incredible. There were different things come through, different kind of... um, Think vehicles to do with it, people giving out different things. And we waited and waited until it was actually the Olympic torch. Now, this all sounds a little bit sad because it was just an Olympic torch, but it was very exciting nonetheless. There was a really amazing atmosphere. Everyone was clapping and cheering and taking photos, and everyone was excited. But the thing is, it didn't just happen. People didn't just randomly turn up and see this torch pass by. A lot of things had to be prepared in advance. People had to be nominated to carry the torch. Then they had to be chosen. And a whole load of other stuff that went into that. So that was the first thing. Preparation in advance. Stuff that had to be sorted out. 
And in the weeks leading up to it, we heard nothing but news about the torch. Because we all knew someone who was taking part, there was a real sense of anticipation. There was a huge build-up. Advertising was everywhere, and that was all people spoke about. And on the day, there was a huge amount of excitement as well. It was an amazing day. And it's the closest thing I can think of that helps us think about what it might have been like on that Palm Sunday. Obviously, Palm Sunday was a little bit more important than a torch, really. But people knew that Jesus was coming, and they knew that he was a new king. It had been planned for years and years before. A Messiah was coming to change the world and overturn the old ways of doing things. And there was a massive amount of divine preparation went into that event. People will have seen the crowds and lined the roads waiting for him to come. And there will have been a great sense of anticipation. Knowing things were going to change. And that something really, really important was about to take place. They were shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I reckon if you were part of that crowd that day, you will have shared in that sense of excitement. Palm Sunday will have been a truly amazing and exciting day. Now that said, and I guess Tim's already addressed this, um, I wonder how many of you were thinking that I'm perhaps in denial talking about Easter when it's nearly Christmas. I'm not actually trying to convince myself that Christmas isn't going to happen because (laughs) the point is that there are loads of things about Palm Sunday that can help us get ready for this Advent season. On a very basic level, Jesus was coming to Jerusalem as king. Jesus was born the new king. For Palm Sunday, there was loads of preparation in advance, anticipation in the build-up and excitement on the day. At Christmas time, both the first Christmas and our Christmases now, there's plenty of preparation in advance. These days, um, more often than we often need, and thousands and thousands of years before Jesus were born, plans were put into place for the Messiah that would change the world. There was anticipation in the build-up. There is these days as we get closer and closer to Christmas. And there was then that anticipation of a king who would rule. An excitement on the day which obviously speaks for itself. So that said, let's think a little bit about what actually happened. Well, one of the first things is, that Jesus tells his disciples to go and find a colt. Now, I don't reckon he'd planned that in advance, as in he'd not spoken to the owner. Um, It was something that he knew was just going to be there. Um, They told him to go, and they said, he says, if uh, you're asked what you're doing with it, say the master needs it. And so that's what they did. And the owner was, you know, asked, and they said the master needs it, and everything was fine. We don't hear of anyone complaining or trying to stop him from taking it. And that was an act of obedience from the disciples and the owner of the cult, of course. The disciples had to do what Jesus asked when he was going to get the donkey. And in the same way, we're to obey Jesus when he asks us to do something. It probably seemed a bit strange being asked to get a cult too. It wouldn't necessarily make sense. Why why did he need this now? But they did what Jesus asked without hesitation. And you know, just because we might not understand something doesn't mean that we should refuse to do it. We just need to simply obey what we're asked to do. 
but also from the perspective of whoever owned the coat. We need to be ready and willing for Jesus to claim use of our possessions or the things that we hold dear. Since he is ultimately in control of all things, then possessions shouldn't actually matter to us. When he sends a message, the Lord has needs of it. Let's be ready to hand over whatever that thing is immediately. If it's possessions or if it's position, whatever it might be, let's be prepared for it to be used by Jesus. And I wonder if we have that kind of humility and openness. If God asks us to give up something that we're used to or give up something that we think is precious, would we hand it over without any argument? If we're told the master needs it, would we just say, all right then, that's fine? Let's be ready to hand over whatever thing is that God asks of us. If we've got a particular ability to do something and God asks us to use that gift for him, would we jump at the chance? I wonder if we would be as quick as the animal's owner to say if the master needs it, that's fine by me, no questions asked. And the other thing about that cult is that Jesus spoke with authority about what would happen. He spoke with clear detail about where it would be, what the owner would say and what to say in response. This showed that he really was who he said he was. He was more than just a man because he knew these things when there was no other way really of knowing them. During the Passover in Jerusalem, there'll have been over two million Jews. It will have been absolutely packed. There'll have been a buzz about the place and that is where Jesus was heading. Now for this kind of occasion, you'd think that he'd ride in on um, <clears throat> some sort of stallion that that would be more appropriate. But Jesus wasn't like that. He was meek and humble, and he wasn't the king that people were expecting. But when the disciples brought the colt to Jesus, they took the coats off and they put them on the donkey, making some kind of saddle. And by doing this, they were declaring him to be royal, because royalty didn't sit directly on any animal. It wasn't enough for him just to ride on it, so he had to have this saddle to ride on it. He was king, a different kind of king, but a king nonetheless. And as he made his way through the crowds, the big, big crowds that piled on the streets, people took their cloaks and they threw them on the floor in front of him. They knew he was something special. They treated him like a king, and he was a king. People also cut down palm branches They made sure that as he entered Jerusalem, he wasn't on the ground directly, which is a symbol of submission. That's saying, I will do as you request. You are the king. The cloaks and the palm branches acknowledge who he is, but the fact he's a cult shows that he's humble, a different kind of king. So I wonder if we were there, would we lie down our courts on the road for Jesus? I wonder if we would say that our lives are not our own, but belong to him. I wonder if we'd be submissive and be willing to have our lives used by him. Now, these people that day were superficially submissive because less than a week later, they were the same people shouting, crucify him. But he was about to show that he was powerful to everybody in a different way, of course. The people said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognised that he was a Messiah. 
That will have been incredibly excited, exciting. And now he was here. What an exciting day. The kingdom was coming. He would establish it. He'd destroy all of their enemies with force, with might, with power, or at least that's what they thought he would do. But they didn't know that Jesus was a different kind of king. And because we know he was humble and different, don't you think it's a tad strange that Jesus allowed this to happen, allowed the cloaks to be thrown on the floor and the palm branches? You see, usually he kept who he really was, quiet. But here he was open. He allowed people to throw down their coats. It didn't stop them from declaring that he was king. If he'd acknowledged publicly that he was the Messiah before then, then his mission would have been sidetracked. He had to complete his intended ministry of teaching and healing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And now that was complete. All that remained was for him to accomplish his exodus in Jerusalem. He now moved to fulfill his prophecy and directed his disciples to find the donkey that his father had prepared for his public entry into Jerusalem. So this claim to be king was clear. People will have been speaking about it. Jesus wasn't crucified for his good works. Jesus was crucified for his claim to kingship. And so he allowed it to happen. People have been cheering and shouting that he's a king who'd come to save him from the Romans. They thought he was about to restore their earthly lives and get rid of their oppression. And the Pharisees told him to rebuke his disciples. Now, if you were a Pharisee, you'd think you'd learn by now not to do that, not to try and trip him up or catch him out. But they did. And so Jesus said to them, if we were to keep quiet, even the rocks would cry out. He's saying there's nothing that would stop what was about to happen from happening. That people might be wrong in how he's going to do what he's going to do, but they're right in recognising him as king. And as Jesus looked upon the city, this bit's just slightly after the bit that we heard read to us earlier. But as he looked upon the city, he wept. The whole time people were cheering and making a joyful noise, and yet Jesus wept. And we're told that that word for wept actually was crying uncontrollably. So why, on such a joyous occasion, did Jesus weep? Surely this should be a happy day, a display of uh, power and strength. But instead, he came in peace. He brought a spiritual peace. They They wanted peace, but they wanted peace from armed forces and the Romans and oppression. They didn't expect the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring. He came to restore our relationship with God the Father, and people didn't understand that. People of that time probably didn't even realize the kind of saviour that they needed. Jesus came to die our death so that we could live his life, so that we could live forever in heaven and in relationship with God the Father. The world was lost and Jesus came to save it. He knew what lay ahead of him and he knew what lay ahead of them and they didn't, so he wept. He knew that people would soon be rejecting him. He knew what his future held. Right from his birth, we're told that Jesus, uh, people didn't understand who Jesus was. He wasn't who people were expecting in his birth. He wasn't who people expected in Jerusalem, the days before his death. 
He came to the world, but the world did not recognize him. He came to save them, and they didn't get it. And people today don't get it. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we've become too busy and a little bit too unconcerned that we don't think about those around us who don't get Jesus, who don't recognize who he really is and why he really came. And we're in danger of becoming people who have too much and so are complacent. We don't do a thing about the fact that there are people around us who don't know Jesus for themselves. So we need to be concerned. We need to be people who tell others about his arrival. His arrival at Christmas that made sense at Easter. We need to have an attitude like Jesus. We need to be concerned for those who don't get it. Either get who Jesus is, the Son of God, come to earth to save us, or get that they need him, because quite frankly, that's a challenge these days. You see, if Jesus really is the king, then we should be so incredibly excited that we tell others about it. It should bother us that our friends or family don't know him, and we should do everything we can to tell others about him. Now, Christmas isn't too far off. I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you. But as we approach Christmas, let's hold in our minds the events of Easter because that's why Jesus came to earth in the first place. And in the build-up to Christmas, let's not miss Jesus. Let's find opportunities in this Christmas period to tell others about him. A new king who is born to rule. And let's let him rule. If we remember nothing else from tonight. Let's remember that Jesus is King. He is the Messiah, the Son of David, and as such, it's right that we worship him in everything that we do. Let's welcome him as King in our hearts, in our lives, through our actions, and let's do something about it and tell others about him too. We know that Jesus came to to bring about change. He came to disturb the comfortable, to turn things upside down. His kingdom is opposite to all things to do with the world. His kingdom challenges empires. His kingdom gets rid of abusive power. But if we're going to let it make a difference to our lives, then we have to live in confidence that that kingdom exists. As we approach this Advent season, which, as always, will fly by, let's decide to do so intentionally and deliberately, choosing to do it differently. Jesus was not what people were expecting on that first Christmas or that first Palm Sunday. He had a different way of doing things. So as we choose to enter this time of Advent, which starts next week, believe it or not, let's choose to do so with him as king of our lives, making a difference to the way in which we live day in, day out, and making a difference to the way in which we do everything. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you care for each one of us. We thank you that you want to be king of every one of our lives. Lord, in this moment, we offer our lives to you now. We say, here I am, use me. We offer ourselves to you and ask that you will use us to make a difference for you in the coming weeks. Amen.